This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Many years ago, a man by the name of John Owen made a statement, a statement that impacted my whole life, my prayer life, my public life, my private life. And the statement went something like this, what an individual is in secret, on his knees before God, he is no more. And the first prayer that I've chosen to use as we look at this different prayers in the Scripture of a man who became who he was because he was a man of prayer, because of his needs of prayer. Many of you know the story. As a teenager, he was abducted from his house, snatched by foreign forces, taken into a foreign land. At the age of 14, he found himself serving a godless king in a godless kingdom, in a godless culture, found himself with incomprehensible pressure to compromise to this new situation and surroundings. And yet this man, Daniel, stood firm. In his teen years, he stood firm. In his old age, he stood firm. All of his life, he stood firm. And chapter 9 is really the secret that tells us why this man stood firm for God. It is the secret for his strength, and it is his knees of prayer. Turn with me, please, if you haven't already, to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's secret for his power was his prayer life. When you bend your knees to Christ alone, you will not bend them to anybody else. And because of that, Daniel's trials, which were many, never broke him. His crushing circumstances, which were many, never jaded his spirit. Later on, when he was in a place of power and authority and wealth, never affected him. That power and authority which he found himself to be in in the later days of his life never led him astray from his love and his loyalty to the Lord. This man did not cry to God because he needed something from God, and he wanted something so badly from God. And as soon as God answered his prayer, he ran back into the land of compromise. No, no, and a million no's. But his prayer was founded upon his love and his obedience to the Word of God. Nobody can be strong in prayer without time of intimacy with the Word of God. Let me repeat this. No one can stand strong in prayer without love and intimacy in the Word of God. The Bible makes it very clear. Effective prayers are those of the righteous. Now, you've heard that James quoted many times. The prayer of the righteous are effectual. The prayer of the righteous is effectual. What does that mean? What does it mean? A person who believes and trusts and obeys. You see, it's one thing to say, yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe the promises of God. But it's another thing to say, I'm going to obey the Word of God no matter who obeys or doesn't obey. 
I'm going to be alone in my obedience if I have to be. And you see, a person who believes, trusts, and obeys God's Word will see his and her prayers effective, effectual. That's what it means. Listen carefully. There is no use my doubting parts of the Word of God. There's no use me doubting some of the promises of God. There's no use me doubting and disobeying the precepts of the Word of God and then being effective in prayer. It doesn't work that way. Look at the example of Daniel. For 68 years, just think about this, for 68 years before he prayed this prayer in chapter 9, There was a man in Jerusalem, and he saw him as a little boy by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was inspired of the Holy Spirit of God to write the Word of God down. And he said, because of your disobedience, Israel, because of your forsaking the Lord your God, because you're running after idolatry, because you constantly disobeyed the Word of God, God is going to take you into exile. You're going to be taken captive into Babylon, and there you will be for 70 years. And then after 70 years, the Lord will remember you and bring you back home. Now, for speaking the Word of God, Jeremiah was hated. Uh, He was laughed at. He was mocked. People literally persecuted him. Uh, They hated him. And some actually tried to kill him for speaking the Word of God. But not Daniel. Daniel believed him. Daniel believed the Word of God. He believed every word of it, and he would not doubt it. Not just for a week or two, not just for a month or two, not just for a year or two. He believed the Word of God for 68 years. Most of us give up praying after 68 hours. He knew that God was going to keep His Word no matter who else believed it. He knew that God would keep His promises no matter who else doubts it. He knew that God is faithful even if everybody around Him is unfaithful. He knew that God's Word is true even if all the church leaders reject it, even if all the church leaders doubt it, even if all the other church leaders criticized it, even if all the other church leaders try to water it down. He believed it. Now, don't miss the irony here about Daniel's prayer. When Daniel prayed this prayer of faith, there were not too many people sharing in that faith. I mean, he wasn't in a big auditorium where people really singing praises to God and and everybody's excited. No, no, no. He was standing alone. He was standing alone. There were not too many people even looking forward to going back to Jerusalem from the exile. There are not too many people who are really looking for God to fulfill His promises and go back to the promised land. There were not too many people who are anxious to leave the lifestyle that they got used to and the lifestyle of sin in Babylon. There were not too many of those. There were not too many people who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. In Babylon, what happened, they got fat and rich and happy, and they did not want to go back to the promised land. They were knee-deep in pagan worship. Read history. They were up to their eyeballs in materialism. Ah, but the prayer of the righteous does what? Effectual. The prayer of the righteous woman, the prayer of the righteous man, availeth much. Let's examine that prayer together as we look at chapter 9. 
There are four things here, and they all start with the letter A. It's not in the Bible, but I'm doing it that way so you can remember it. First of all, Daniel's prayer was anchored on the promises of God. They were anchored in the promises of God. Secondly, they were affirming to the glory of God. And thirdly, they were assenting to the mercy of God. And fourthly, they were appealing on behalf of others. You see, effectual prayer has to be first and foremost firmly anchored in the promise of God. Every one of the great prayers of the Bible, every time they go back to the covenant, always going back to the covenant. And Daniel's prayer was no exception. Look at verse 4. O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps His covenant. Recounting of God's past faithfulness. Recounting of God's past salvation. Recounting of God's past interventions. Recounting of God's past graces is what make our prayer life to be an effectual prayer. But there's something else I don't want you to miss here, very important. Claiming the promises of God includes an honest confession. Did you get that? It includes an honest confession. Oh, no, no, no. They were not covering up their sin. They said, well, Lord, you know, everybody's doing this, and and therefore, Lord, uh, I think you understand. Oh, Lord, I'm going to rationalize it. I'll explain it away. I'm even going to dismiss it altogether because what was sin in the Bible may not be sin today. No, 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 my beloved friend, that doesn't work with God. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and law. Today, if you tell an average church-going person, if you tell them he or she is wicked, watch out, they'll punch you. If you want to try it, be my guest. I tried it. (laughs) Wicked? What do you mean wicked? We're church-going folks. We're not wicked. God is so fortunate even to have us on His side. Oh, they won't say it that way, but that's how they think it. They really do. They would be horrified to think of themselves as wicked. Most church-going people think they're so good (laughs) that God is just blessed to have them on His team. We've been telling generation after generation, it may be expensive, but you are worth it, that we come to church and think we're worth it. That God loves us because we're worth it. What kind of a grace is that? God promised in the Scripture that a broken and contrite heart He will not despise. The Bible said that He despises the haughty and the arrogant and the self-righteous. In the New Testament, the Bible clearly promises that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. Look at verse 9, Daniel 9, 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Let me ask you this. Do you know why the Lord delights in having His children remind Him of His promises? Do you know why? Why He delights when we remind Him of His promises? <laughs> no, no, not because He forgets every now and again and getting older. And He said, oh, I'm glad you remind me. I said that years ago. I, I really forgot about that. Now, I do that, but not, <laughs> not God. 
He doesn't have any cases of amnesia, and therefore he needs us to remind him. So he said, oh, thank you for reminding me about this. No, 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 no. The reason he loves it when we remind him of his promises, because he loves it when we remember his promises. For effectual prayer, there can be no blame game. Don't say, well, you know, the the devil made me do it. Somebody did this and somebody did this. Oh, Lord, you know, you know what the louse my husband is. Or, or, Lord, will you know how terrible my wife is. Or, Lord, you know how awful my boss is. No, that doesn't work. The blame game doesn't work with God. He knows all about them. He wants you. He wants me to confess our confession through confessing our sin as we get hold of His promises. Anchored in God's promises. Secondly, affirming of His glory. I know that most people become fervent in prayer when they want something from God, when they need something from God. They really become great prayer warriors, and and that's all right. But for effectual prayer, the glory of God has to be first and foremost in our life, not just even in our prayer life. Do you understand that praying for others is one of the greatest privileges a person can have? Intercede on behalf of others. And in my humanness, when I pray for people, I want to pray for the alleviation of the suffering. I want to pray for the healing. I want to pray for the intervention of God in their situation. I want to, in my humanness, but in my spirit, I pray that God be glorified. That the glory of God be first and foremost in the situation. When we know God like Daniel knew God, when we love God as Daniel loved God, when we care more about His glory than our needs, then we will pray first and foremost for God's glorification. And guess what? Guess what? God wants His name to be glorified more than we do. So what happens here is that when we seek first and foremost His glory, We are aligning our will with His will. We are aligning our purpose with His purpose. We are aligning our hearts with His heart. We are aligning our desires with His desire. Then, and only then, God delights in answering our prayers. Look at verse 17. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of your sanctuary that is desolate, Beloved, Daniel's bottom line wasn't his own wealth, it wasn't his own health, it wasn't his own success even. Now, there's anything wrong with that at all. But his first and foremost desire is for the glory of God. Verse 19, save your people, O Lord. Why? So that they may go back and do well in business in Jerusalem? No. For your sake, for your name for your fame, for your glory, Lord. Let me tell you something. I love my family, and I love you as a flock of God in this congregation over whom I'm an an under-shepherd. But more and more become the very purpose of my life is to see God glorified more than anything else. For that is a sure way to experience effectual prayer. Anchored in His promises, affirming of His glory, ascending to His mercy. You know, there's some Christians 
when they pray and they want something from God, they remind God of how good they've been to God. They really do. I, I was not long ago. I was talking to a dear brother outside of the city, and he was recounting. He said, "You know, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Why God is not answering me?" <laughs> I said, "You don't need a seminary degree to know that you're praying the wrong way. You don't remind God of how good you've been to Him. That is the wrong way to pray." Our only plea when we pray is for His mercy. That's our only plea, is His mercy. And in Daniel's time, after 68 years, just think about this, in this Babylonian and Persian exile, the younger generation knew nothing but Babylon. They were born there, many of them. They knew all about the Babylonian lifestyle. They knew all about the Babylonian culture. They knew all about the Babylonian food. They knew all about the Babylonian way of life. They, they knew all about the Babylonian MTV. They knew all about how it is illegal to pray in school. They knew all about how illegal to have Bible studies in the school. They know how the Babylonian talk about sexual preferences, almost like it's a norm. They all knew is that abortion is a constitutional right. That's all they knew. Ah, oh, the promised land. Oh, it's only something they heard about in the by and by from their older generation. And beloved, that is why our younger generation, whom I love and I thank God for on a daily basis, need to know that they are in a current spiritual exile. They need to be reminded that while we read about the move of God and the hand of God working is in history books, and those who have written about it, those who have told us about it, we need to remind ourselves and them that God can move again, that God can do great things again in our lifetime. And that is why we need to remind them of God's past mercies, of God's past spiritual awakenings, of God's past interventions. Look at verse 18. We do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. God delights in mercy. That's the only way you can come to God and be effectual in prayer. You see, mercy is one of God's great covenant characteristics. And God loves it when we are sent to His covenant character. A friend of mine was telling me how this year he began for the first time to read the Bible through, which I've been doing for years, and many of you are. And he was telling me, he said, how, how overwhelmed he'd become when, when he saw how again and again and again God forgives them, again and again and again and again God restores them, again and again how God shows mercy toward them. How many times can you recount with details the mercies of God in the past to you and to you and your family? How many times can you sit there with details, say, Lord, you did this, and you did this, and this is what you did, anchored in God's promises, affirming of God's glory, assenting to God's mercy, finally appealing to Him for the needs of others. If you just read the Scripture casually, without a lot of in-depth study, it is so clear 
the people of God were oblivious to the danger around them. They were, really. How oblivious they were to the terrible danger that was around the corner. And Daniel was so deeply troubled by their oblivion to reality. They cannot see what's coming. And beloved, it is true today. It really is. The vast majority of people are oblivious to the desperate spiritual condition we're in. Many of them may know about our economic woes. They know because they see it, how fraying at the edges our social fabric is in society. They know the threat of terrorism because they see it in the news. But the average person doesn't have a clue that our most desperate need is spiritual in nature. Oh, they think that freedom is a freedom to murder babies in their mother's womb, that freedom is a freedom of sexual preferences, that freedom is abandoning of their families, that freedom is the abandoning of moral absolutes, that freedom is to do whatever you want. That's what they think freedom is. And the vast majority of people are oblivious to abysmal spiritual condition which we're in. And that is why those of us who are spiritually minded need to appeal to the Lord on behalf of others, on behalf of the real needs that we have today. Listen, whether they see it or not, that's beside the point. People in Daniel's time didn't see it. Whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not, that's beside the issue. They and we desperately in need of a spiritual awakening. And God was so gracious to Daniel. He was so gracious, not only that in two years' time from that moment, he answered his prayers, and Nehemiah went back, and Ezra went back, and they began to build the walls, and the people of God began to go back And they had a spiritual awakening when Ezra opened the Scripture and he begins to read. And people have not heard the Word of God for a long time. They were so stricken in their hearts that they had a truly a spiritual awakening at that time. That in itself would have been huge, huge privilege for an effectual prayer. But God did something else. Read on in the rest of the chapter when you go home. He privileged Daniel to actually show him his timetable that in 450 years or so, God is going to send his Messiah. God is going to intervene in the world once and for all, and he's going to send Jesus. It's right there. Calculate the time. If your hope is anchored in a political party, if your hope is anchored in a political ideology, you will be disappointed. We will be disappointed. But if our hope is anchored in His promises, a prayer that is affirming to His glory, a prayer that is assenting to His mercy, a prayer that is on behalf of others, then we will see the hand of God working. 